0: Essentials Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Thing Investing Essentials Podcast. My name is Lawrence Samuels. I'm your host as always. I have a special guest today. His name is Fred Bristol. He is from a company named BrickOwner, which is a company I'm personally not that familiar with, but I'm excited to learn more about what Fred is doing with BrickOwner and what BrickOwner is all about. Um, Again, disclaimer, I do not invest through BrickOwner presently. Who knows, that could change in the future once uh, once I learn a little bit more about Brick owner But uh, coming direct from London today is Fred. How are you today?
1: Uh, yeah, really good, Lawrence. So thanks for making the time to speak. And I look forward to giving you much more information and background on Brick owner where we are, where we came from, and where we're going.
0: It'll be a good chance for you to sell me on Brick owner. A potential investor, you definitely. Never know. Yeah. You no, know, me, me, and my millions of of pounds that are in my bank account. Ki- I'm kidding. I don't. I don't <laughs> have okay. So to start out with, Fred, you know, you know, I'm a uh, person that likes jokes, right? You've listened to my podcast before, so I'm going to give you one here. Yeah. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Why do bankers make good lovers?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I'll try to think of that one.
0: Be- yeah. Because they understand the penalty for late withdrawal. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Mm. Better than some of my jokes. <laughs> okay. Not not my best work. Okay, Fred, go.
1: What my my joke or? Yeah. Uh, what did yours is a lot better than mine. What did number seven say to number eight?
0: I have no idea.
1: Nice belt. looks like a belt so honestly a lot of my jokes are probably more inappropriate <laughs> for uh, uh this type of podcast nice so. belt
0: i didn't get that one uh, never mind I- i'll figure it figure it out later i guess nice belt
1: i tried it on my girlfriend actually and she's actually from the u.s and she didn't get it she, so
0: <laughs> you
1: know, it's kind of lost in translation i think yeah
0: but i'm an englishman i should get it yeah right? yeah I don't know. <laughs> Hey, I wanted to tell you that you're actually the first person named Fred that I've ever interviewed. You just don't see that name now. It used to be a very popular name. And so I started researching on the internet all the people that were named Fred who are famous. And guess who the number one person who, who was being listed as the most famous Fred? Fred, Fred Trump? No, it wasn't Fred Trump, it was actually fred savage from the wonder years i don't believe this that is random yeah he he was the the most famous but i was thinking like fred is a really versatile name because you could use it to be regal like you got fred the king of prussia and then you could also use it to be very intimidating like uh freddy Krueger, for it's instance true. who was yeah. kind of an intimidating even though it wasn't really his name but And then you could be artistic. You've got Freddie Mercury. So it's really one of those names. You're very lucky to have a name like Fred because you could use it in a very distinguished way or you could use it in a very intimidating way. So I like that name. I think it's a good, strong name.
1: Yeah, it's good. Uh, (laughs) As you said, I'm English, but it's actually, originally it's a German name.
0: Oh, okay. And did you know that Freddie Mercury's name was not really Freddie Mercury?
1: I did. And someone told me his real name and I can't remember it.
0: No, it's some strange, like, Farrakash or... Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So, let's talk about you a little bit, Fred. Where are you from? Uh, So, I'm
1: English, I'm from London, and um, I have always... So, I've been doing property. So, my background actually is not tech, it's property. So, I've been doing real estate for the last, uh, I don't know, 14-odd years. Um, And I started off... Funnily enough, I started off in Eastern Europe um, in... um, working in a number of different countries uh, for about five or six years managing real estate over there and that was the first time that I I experienced so we're managing a small fund and I experienced the hassle of onboarding um, investors and that was way before all the kind of more rigorous I'd say KYC AML issues that we face today and even then it was I, I guess I wouldn't say a nightmare, but in terms of admin, but it was it made it unviable to accept smaller increments of money. Um, so we never accepted less than I can't remember 25 or 50 thousand pounds even. Um, and then so 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 that in, instilled in me, fun enough, um, just I guess the kind of basis of how it was hard for people to access, hard for normal individuals to access. Um, some of the most interesting opportunities because these these barriers to entry which were from the kind of investment amount they had to have to make it viable for the asset manager to accept their money. So that was kind of the thing that got instilled in me quite some time ago now. Um, and then I was working in the UK for about six years in um, like a number of regions, What you know, we're English, so East Anglia um, uh, and Lincolnshire. Um, and mainly doing residential, a bit of planning. And um, this is where the, the kind of idea for brick owner came from, actually. So probably going back now to probably early 2015, call it January, February, I was looking at a particular town in Lincolnshire, um, and I was looking at buying uh, myself, I already owned some things there, so buying more residential, because at the time mm-hmm. you could buy, it was very, it was, it, it was very interesting from an investor's point of view because you could buy. There's a housing shortage in the UK, so you could buy below new build costs. You could buy at 110 pounds a square foot, which, when you factor in the cost of land, it was basically below, or I mean, you probably could. It was just on par or below. And these were very nice Victorian cottages. There was a strong mm-hmm. rental demand, but but the, the the numbers were very small. So these houses typically go for or 80 or anything from actually 70 to 90 thousand pounds. So I thought then. It'd be interesting to um, work with a number of investors to kind of do it on scale, and then in my mind there are kind of three different types of investors. There's um, big institutions who don't wouldn't need anyone else because they they're doing it themselves, um, and then there's I'd say in the UK was um, you know there are like two million bytes less investors in the UK at the moment, um, and technically you know I'd say anyone who's The middle ground, if there were three different types of investors, was the institutions, then the buy-to-left investors who might have anything from, I'd say, four to 40 properties. And then there's people who they are not necessarily retail investors, but they're people that wish to invest smaller increments of money or they want to invest over time and can drip-feed money in. And um, that's when I realized, actually, the opportunity was really... Um, kind of the, the real demand from investment perspective was the people that were unable, a bit like what I'd faced some time earlier, they, they didn't have enough or they couldn't justify the, the, the kind of investment of 25 or 50,000. Um, so those were the people then that I thought had the kind of need um, for, the pro- for the, this kind of product. Um, mm-hmm. And then I spoke to a friend of mine called Toby, who I used to work with a very long time ago. And he's had been running a tech accelerator in Berlin for about five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then together we kind of that that takes us to about March or April 2015. And that was kind of the basis of the beginnings of BrickOwner, really. It's kind of honing um, the business. And to begin with, we were very much looking um, mainly at residential. We were looking mainly in these particular regions. And as we honed our business model, we we kind of shifted it to a uh, we looked at the, U. I mean, I guess, as you know, like in many things um, from investment side, the U.S. leads the way. And I'd say from my perspective, it definitely leads the way when it comes to um, alternative finance, and especially I'd say on the equity side for platforms, so for real estate platforms. So I'd say mm-hmm. a platform such as Fundrise, I think is very, um, for, it was very interesting to look at how it had, where it had come from, how it had grown and then where they ended up, and what their model was very much, rather than, I'd say on the equity side, there are going very high level, there are kind of two main models. One model is, you can focus on being a, um, well one model is you can be a platform, and if, if you've got an secondary market in exchange, but also you are selecting and managing your own uh, properties, kind of in-house as it were, and there's, there's a platform in the UK, property partner you know them, but they do yep. they're, they're, they do that mm-hmm. so they're very much i'd say they're actually in my mind um they're two businesses in one wrapper so they're a, pla- a tech platform in exchange they actually go and source all their own properties and obviously they subtract lots without but fundamentally they rely on that on their own in-house expertise to judge the people that are then changing the light bulbs and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of model has a lot of issues, you know, it's good in many respects, but has a lot of issues as well, which is, um, I'd say the primary ones when I looked at it was, firstly, the underwriting. So you need um, an enormous um, facility to underwrite your properties because as you're finding different properties, you've got this issue of how do you secure the asset to then fund it on the platform. Um, And then the second issue is, as you know, there's, there's often, you need to know an area very, very well. So there's often... And you might have one street and another street parallel or a five minute walk. But maybe the capital values are completely different. But maybe they're the same. But maybe then the rental demand for each street is very different. So you need all this very detailed expertise. So for for kind of a pan-UK business, I think that's very, very hard. You have all these hurdles. So it's very hard to do in-house. So that kind of put us off. And then the other thing that put us off going down that model was... The fact that um, I wanted the ability to not only do residential. So, as you know, for every sector you do, you need greater and greater amounts of in-house expertise. So that was one model. And then the second model, which is, I'd say, the biggest one in the U.S., is one where you focus really on being a platform um, and the tech, almost like a facilitator or an aggregator, um, and you're selecting, so your due diligence process is twofold rather than, so the assets sits behind, you're actually selecting the property asset manager first. Mm. Um, and then the deals come from them. And then you're, and these are the asset managers who I was one a while ago, as I mentioned, their minimum, and the, the minimum they'll accept might be 25,000, it might be 50, could be 250,000 pounds. Um, But they actually are sourcing, so the people we're looking at are minimum, some of them might manage manage as little as 40 million, and they actually go up to a billion pounds. Um, But the the thing they all have in common is they do, um, they raise equity on a deal by deal basis um, uh, with using a number of different investors. So, we work with those types of people, and we actually aggregate for them our minimum is hundred pounds. their mm-hmm. minimum, as I said, can be fifty a hundred thousand. So we aggregate for them um, and so in effect we 're solving I believe two problems in one the the problem mm-hmm. of the end user not being able to access these opportunities and the expertise and then that we're solving an issue for the asset manager, which is um we're giving them firstly a greater access to to capital which they wouldn't otherwise have and a pool of capital because obviously there are many many more people in the UK that can invest less than 50,000 than there are that can invest over Um, and these people grow as investors so as I said so not everyone even if someone over a five-year period can invest a hundred thousand they might not be able to do it all in one go they can drip feed it and a lot of these, so we're going to launch a secondary market as well. So a lot of these asset managers are lacking liquid. Well, obviously, real estate lacks; it's it's, a, it's a illiquid. Um, mm-hmm. So that's our model, and that's kind of where we where we came from and where we, where we're heading, really.
0: Do you personally invest in peer-to-peer lending or crowdfunding in, in other companies yourself or not?
1: Um, I invest in I invest in a lending platform. Why well, I I use, I use RateSetter. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and I've actually used it on. But it's interesting. I've used it on both sides of, of the platform as well, both as a as a lender to, to, and as a borrower. Um, okay. And on the equity side, as I said, like I um I because my background is property anyway. Like I own different assets, so mm-hmm. I haven't. I've tried out a number of platforms more out of interest than any on the equity side than anything else. So I, th- yeah. I, I guess from my perspective, because I already own property so i'm exposed on the equity side the, the it's more interesting on the debt side for me in terms of using platforms
0: is uh brick owner i presume is only open to people uk residents
1: um no so we are actually open to i mean technically anyone that can get through our kyc aml process but the caveat there is um we're not te- Today, open to U.S. investors, so they can't—they mm-hmm. can't actually. We—we we don't. They're not able to even um, to sign up properly.
0: No, I understand. Yeah, most most of the companies don't. Uh, for some reason, the American government has decided that it's not good for American people to be able to spread their wings over to different countries because of the terrorism and money laundering issue. that the Americans seem to be fighting, which is a shame. Explain to me briefly about the process of how you choose which properties you're going to offer to the people on brick owner
1: yeah so um as i said so our process is a little bit different because before we even look at a property we would look at the um asset managers so what, what we what we're trying to do is build a um, uh, I, I use the analogy like a sausage machine, I guess. So mm-hmm. when you're working with a number of asset managers, it could be a large number, it could be a small number, but what we don't want to be doing ideally is doing one-off deals or, or investing in one-off deals with uh, lots of different managers. We want to be working with these managers and doing multiple deals with them. Um, so once we're happy and we've got a relationship with a particular manager, then obviously they do different, a number of different deals a year, Um, and then we'll be offered these opportunities and then we decide whether we, there's no obligation to do any of them, but we're, we're likely to do a number of them. So we'll, so for example, one of our managers does, um, they do four deals a year, um, and they raise 10 to 15 of equity for each deal. Um, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up doing two of their deals a year, but it would be unlikely if we did all of them. But you never know. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess so. That's on the manager side, and then looking at the assets and why we are choosing to go into some and not others. Um, we're we're a very new platform, so we've just launched um like a, f- a few months ago, the beginning of the year, really. Uh, so we're really focusing on. So if you again, if you go very high level. Um, I would say, why do people invest in property? They invest for income and for capital growth. That's what it really comes down to. Um, so, and, and obviously, some investments can be a mixture of both. Um, initially, our view is that we're focusing more on income-producing income. Producing, uh, uh, income pro- in terms of capital growth, we don't like. So, we what I don't I would don't think we'd ever do really is invest on a speculative basis, meaning right. oh, the market is going to go up let's invest at today's value and cross our fingers and it all should be okay. We're not doing that. I, I just, mm-hmm. um, so on the capital growth side, it will only be where there are value add deals, where you're, you're a- actively adding value, which would generally obviously be through development or through if it's a, a yielding asset through what kind of jig you're playing around with the, the tenant mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the, so yeah, so we're, we're initially focusing on income because um, I think there's a huge demand, obviously it's very hard for people to get income at the moment. Um, And also as as an early stage platform, um, I think it gives comfort to new investors once they start receiving their dividends. So I think, you know, once which is obviously why the lending platforms in a way are are, are lucky because you obviously get like very regular distributions. Um, So we're very much focusing on that um,
0: uh, at the moment. You, you're speaking about asset managers. So are these asset managers already own these properties and they're offering you to be a part of that deal or are they uh, properties that they're considering purchasing? Because I'm wondering how does it work if you're unable to raise enough funds to get into a deal? How does that work?
1: Um. So going back to the issue i would say with if you're two businesses and one and the underwriting so we're generally we're working with asset managers who are already underwriting their so it'll generally be new deals so they'll be they would have secured them um and they'll often they will they would have underwritten them as well um Mm -hmm. uh and then they're basically syndicating it out um uh but at value like so there's there's no value shift that makes sense um So, but there'll be then, then then new investments, so then.
0: Okay. So you, you're able to, if you cannot raise enough funds on a particular deal, you're not under any obligation to move forward on that type of deal when it's through an asset manager, is that correct?
1: But, so we're speaking to one asset manager actually, where, so in, in a good way, um, Every that's why we want to work with a number of asset managers and do repeat business with those same asset managers because every deal is always a little bit different because they all have you're you're going in if you're minor and like a, a minor investor you're going in on basically on their terms, um, uh so um. So, uh, so far all the invest all the asset managers we're speaking to, we have no obligation to complete the investments and they underwrite everything, um, but we are in discussions with others where that could change. And then we, we would look at, there would be small penalties, meaning, you know, which we would, a brick like, would we would cover not our investors. Um, okay. t- tiny penalties, kind of 2% of your raise type stuff, but just enough to kind of
0: um, matter. Since these properties are not sourced by yourself, I presume there's the same amount of due diligence that has to go into choosing which one is correct which investment is okay would that be would I be correct in saying that?
1: Yeah you would be correct in saying that yeah but in a a, a good way obviously because they've got other investors coming in alongside us they've had to all produce for everyone independent arm's length red book valuations and everything else as everyone comes Mm -hmm. in.
0: Okay and so you're a part of a an investment sort of a group in many ways Are, are they is this a held inside of an SPV where yeah, it's exactly. sort of like another layer to what standard equity property companies do whereas they bring the investors in, put them inside an SPV and now you're brick owner inside of an, an SPV and then the investors through brick owner are just I guess I'm having a little trouble understanding how that setup is legally put together. Like, okay. Do the investors have a separate Agreement with brick owner, and then brick owner is the SPV. Yeah, party. yeah, SPV? yeah. So,
1: we have so, so every investment that we invest into, we will set up our own SPV for. So, brick mm-hmm. owner SPV. So, just say easy numbers just say we have a hundred investors putting in a thousand pounds each um, mm-hmm. into an opportunity that requires a million pounds. Our hundred investors would go into a brick owner S P V um and that would make a hundred thousand pounds and that money would go into the um the kind of master S P V which alongside another nine hundred thousand
0: as far as the decision making processes go, once you're inside of that S P V with other investors, how do you do you have any power as to what happens with, with that property? Um I'm just thinking, to me, it seems like you'd kind of be at the mercy of what the asset manager decides to how they want to control that property. Yeah,
1: you are. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, what we're doing is we're offering people the ability to invest into something they couldn't otherwise invest into. I mean, we're not advising them to invest into something. So, we're giving them all the information, all the ter- all the kind of the timeline, the terms um but we would have the same r s p. v um would, would brick and s p. v would have the same rights as all the other uh equity alongside it
0: i'm just trying to understand how that works is it it's a bit of an unusual setup compared to the way you know i'm familiar with the the other companies who offer equity shares and property so what is some of the sizes of the? You said ten to fifteen. You're talking about million, I would imagine. Correct? Yeah, not yeah. thousand. No, sure. <laughs>
1: okay. um, so I think to be honest, like they're all a bit different. Um, mm-hmm. If I look at what, if I look at what we're looking at, I mean, um, some of them actually are. Yeah, some of them are. I mean, the biggest we've been looking at, um, which actually we couldn't invest, we could not invest into because it was available before we launched. But there they were, um, the, the, the investment was forward funding um, for new travel lodges on 25-year leases. Um, okay. And that was, I think, 50, uh, was it 12, I can't remember. It was like 12, 12 million equity raised for it. Um, mm. But we could have gone to that. We didn't. Um, but then the, on the other extreme, the kind of small extreme, um, so we could still do things where um, we would... Um, our spv could own um all of the equity of necessary for for a particular deal um it's just obviously on the on the bigger types of deals we we at the moment we don't have that kind of liquidity through the platform to do that sure um but on the small scale i mean we're looking at things um some hmos where um you know basically one of the houses where you might have five people but you clean them up make them look good and you might have five people living there but you're doing that on a as i said more of a sausage machine um so be different investors for each different house but but they're obviously small lot sizes so it's kind of yeah. a, a mix really
0: you're so you're a newer platform you said you just launched at the beginning of 2017 so this question may i don't know how much weight one would put into this but i was just wondering what's the kind of average investment amount that Investors are putting into brick owner. What's your current average approximately?
1: Our minimum investment is a hundred pounds, but obviously yeah. we don't want lots of people putting a hundred pounds. Sure. So it's more. We have a low minimum purely because it gives people the ability to test, see if they mm-hmm. like it, with a small amount of money. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I'd say our average at the moment is around twelve hundred. Um, the mm-hmm. largest amount is so far from a single investor, being around 10,000 pounds. But I expect it's looking at, again, at at kind of how it works with other platforms. Um, We are aiming to grow two different things. So one is Mm -hmm. our user base, and also the average amount each user is investing. Um, So we we expect that to increase,
0: yeah. Yeah, obviously you're new, so those numbers are gonna be smaller at the beginning, which is okay. Also another question, how many, how many investors do you have right now, currently today? End users, using our platform. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so we've got. Um, so, so we've only done two to invest two deals. So, we, in those two deals, we've got um, top of my head seventy-eight people invested in them.
0: Okay. So you're going to be rapidly growing, I think, soon. You'll have more. Yeah, yeah, we're
1: yeah, we're already growing. I mean, we're growing quite a lot. So we're growing. Our user base is growing probably twenty percent a month.
0: Yeah. yeah. I find it very interesting that it's good to speak to somebody that's running a newer company because a lot of the times I'm talking to the ones that are more established and it's nice to get a different perspective of watching a company grow from the small roots and hopefully become bigger. So that's good. Okay, well, great. So I talk a lot on the website about platform failure. It's one of the biggest problems that, that investors face. We're all worried about it. Uh, importance of a company being profitable over a period of time is important very important when you start out it's more difficult we understand that as far as brick owners profitability how long will it take for you do you think to become a profitably operated company
1: so we're aiming um to be profitable within kind of 24 months um okay. as you said there's always a um i use the analogy funny enough of like where I want to be is as you said, there's always a kind of dichotomy between profitability and growth, and you're kind of mm-hmm. almost kind of well you're you're juggling each one um so where I th- I think the best way of growing is from a profitable position to be frank mm-hmm. you have you' that's yep. a position of power um and um actually I remember recently. Someone used expression that investors now were that were looking for. This is investors and businesses. They were looking for um, uh, uh, what are they called? There's what are those animals that um, they they're looking for cockroaches as opposed to unicorns, i.e., cockro- cockroaches can survive in any kind of condition was unicorn mm-hmm. unicorns obviously don't even exist so <laughs> but i think that's actually quite an interesting way of, of looking at it which is you know i think people a bit like what you're talking about it's less about you know um these kind of companies that will never make any money and or they might do but at some crazy point in the future and more about you know trying to get to a break-even position which is obviously a position of strength and kind of yeah. like, growing from that point so that's very much um uh, what we think, and um mm-hmm. again, I use the analogy of almost being if you 're a boat, you know you always, and the shore is profitability, you always want the shore within your site um so if the, the the kind of weather gets bad, you can always make it to shore if that makes sense as well
0: it 's all about risk too, I think it's a less risky way to try to achieve profitability first before trying to grow too quickly, but every company is different and it sounds like you have a game plan to get to being a profitable company within 24 months which is a good thing. Uh, One thing I will say is when you mentioned HMOs I kind of cringed for a second because I've been investing through Property Moose for a little while and uh, the HMO situation has been a bit of a rough one over there as far as because the management you know they haven't been able to keep the occupancy in the HMOs up and the investments have generally performed, dividend-wise, very, very poorly. What's your reasoning for wanting to look at something like that when HMO knowing those types of things are going on? Sure, so
1: um, when I'm talking about HMOs, they are legally HMOs, but mm-hmm. so we've, we've, as I said, so rather than looking at the end property and saying I want to invest in HMOs, again, we've been talking to a particular manager who um, manages, at the moment is specialised in the student sector. So they have, um, I think, about 150 properties. Um, and now they, they are moving into, and they make them very slick, and they've got a very good track record of 12, 10, 12 years. Um, and now they're moving into kind of a young professional sector, which is very, compl- they've got a very strong brand. It's very complementary to their brand, because at the moment all their um, tenants are university students. And obviously, they then become young professionals who, by default, looking at the statistics in the UK, most of them can't really afford, definitely can't afford to buy. And most of them can't even, especially in, in kind of major cities, can't really afford to rent on their own. So they've already got, they've because of what they've been doing already in HMOs with the students, they've already got, and they've got a strong, very good brand. They've already got the tenant mix already lined up. Um, so that was why we were interested in, in them uh, in particular, and obviously they do HMOs, so we weren't interested in it as a standalone, but as with these particular managers and their track mm-hmm. record.
0: So, Fred, you mentioned uh, uh, we're talking about we're talking about student housing. Seems to be a very popular trend for peer-to-peer companies offering student development projects. There's a lot of them around now. What are your feelings on those student development projects? You think that's a good place for somebody to be investing their money right now, or not?
1: Um, I think, you know, it's quite interesting actually, because we've, we put a student's property on our platform and I, I like it. And before we, we did it, obviously I I researched all the macro. So, and obviously with Brexit as well, because you hear you were, you never, you know, now it's all about, as Trump says, fake news or whatever, you never know what to believe. (laughs) Um, so it's quite interesting reading it because I thought, because obviously, because a lot of foreign students in the UK, but actually interesting enough, um, the main, I can't remember what it was, like European students were kind of number four in terms of foreign, and it was, it was, it was I think it was, out, like Nigeria and India, and like places where you didn't, I, I didn't really expect it to come from, I yeah. thought it would mainly be um, kind of European or German or something. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, um, will what's going on affect, like in terms of Brexit, affect student housing and the demand, no. Um, I also think it's quite interesting if you look at um, households and household expenditure cuts. Obviously, they, the first thing to go is holidays and whatever. I think, I mean, I, I you know, I, I really want to have children at some point, but I don't have any children. But I know a lot of my friends do, and I um, I think education for your children is one of the last things to go. So um, yeah. I think from that perspective, it's all heading in terms. Of, and you've got a very strong tenant mix in the sense you've got, you know, just you've got a building with a hundred different tenants where all their, you know, parents are paying. You've got a, a, a strong tenant mix, so I, sure. I, I like it. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about the wind up process. If brick owner for some reason were to fail, we have two layers of what's going on with brick owner. You have the SPV that is a brick owner SPV involved with an asset manager and also possibly ones that you're sourcing yourself. So two questions. Firstly, if the asset manager company failed, what what is the wind-up process for them, firstly? And then secondly, what is the wind-up process legally on brick owners' end if brick owner were to fail?
1: So the asset manager, um, what well, you think about it, firstly, um, the asset manager as a business' so a bit like brick and a like our company like the, the actual brick in a limited is not owning and buying the property we're managing the property so mm-hmm. if we fail, it doesn't in that respect affect the underlying investment um you mm-hmm. could replace us with another another manager of the spVs so that's the first thing so um uh, again in a similar way to the actual um, m- kind of master SPV that owns the property, um, uh, again, if that asset manager went bust, um, that would be different to the actual uh, property, say, breaching covenants or mm-hmm. being taken by the bank or that going bust, so they're all, they're all a bit different. So if, so I'd say the only th- the main thing that would affect the, and I'll get back to Brick the main thing that would affect um, our structure in a negative way Um, would be if the problem which could happen anyway in any structure if the if the underlying property breached some kind of it's always about lending isn't it like lending covenants um, then um, then as always like the bank would you know firstly um, try and get its money back and then whatever's left is is distributed between the equity investors but on on that note we don't like I mean we're not interested in investments with high leverage so um, uh, and at the moment we're not even, we're not even do, doing development. So mm-hmm. we're doing income plays. Um, and when we're, we're not into, so even with the HMOs, we look at 50% LTV if we borrowed. Mm-hmm. So, and with strong income. So we, we like to think it's, we're not taking, um, we're not, we're not interested in taking big risks.
0: Is there a management third party put into place, you know, beforehand in case a company fails? Like does, does, uh, I'm not very familiar with FCCA regulation rules as far as how that works, but I understand that in order to be regulated now, you do have to have a wind-up process third-party trust in place to handle things that if a company failed. Is that the same for the asset manager? Do they have some body in place in case they fail to manage that property?
1: They have. I mean, they do in the sense that, um, say, for example, the moment... Our uh, regulation, we're we're uh, a bit like Property Moose as well at the moment. So uh, we're using we're appointed representatives of a um, from for FCA purposes um, of a of a company called Gallium and Property Moose. I think it's Sapia, mm-hmm. um, but they would. I mean, that's why they're there. So if something happened with brick and Limited, um, then obviously Gallium are then kind of okay. coming in.
0: Yeah. I understand. So you, so that's the company that's in place in case the disastrous situation happened, which of course we hope it doesn't. But you know, as investors, we always have to think about those things, worst case scenario situations. So it's good to know that that is in place. Sure. I mentioned before that some of the properties on some of the other equity platforms have performed definitely more poorly than was advertised. Um, there is a lot of speculation when it comes to uh, you know property investing is just part of the risk of what comes along with it. Have you found, I know it's early days for you, but have you found that your projections are in line with what's actually being realized as far as returns? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, as you said, it is early days for us, but um, yeah, as I, so far, um, the answer is yes. and w- again, what's interesting is we're investing with managers who have uh, strong track records. So, as I said, we look at their track records um, and then we look at the property. Like, so, we wouldn't look at the property as a standalone of this is the projected return. We look at the manager and have they actually performed to deliver their projected returns mm-hmm. over a
0: period of time. Okay. So, that's probably a question I should be asking you any year because it's very hard to, to tell you're still very early in the game. But, Fred, what is the single biggest challenge that Brick owner faces right now as a company? <laughs>
1: Um, I think you know, like it's interesting. I think uh, most companies in my space face the challenge of firstly credibility, because I, I, although it's it's still a very new sector. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people, and I think people inherently it's trust, really. So people inherently don't trust platforms or websites. So getting past that hurdle is 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 big. It's a big it's a big thing. Um, And with credibility and trust comes also um, because it's such a young sector, like you could have one rogue outfit who kind of disproportionately um, could negatively affect the trust of other platforms from a contagion perspective. So I I think that is, is, is bad as well. Um, So yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, I would say they are big things and I think, Interesting enough, you know, it's interesting because obviously there are very new sectors and the FCA is almost catching up with the sector um, from a regulatory point of view. And I think, you know, it's, um, you know, I think it's a very good thing um, that it's all properly regulated. Um, and I think in a really healthy way, it'll mean that it's less likely that something will, will go wrong and there'll be contagion. But as long as it's all done, you know, so far they seem to have done a very good job at doing it all you know methodically and in the right way,
0: yeah, so Fred, regarding credibility, I find this very interesting you you're a new upstart company um, there's obviously other players in this space that have been established for a while. How are you overcoming this problem of being credible and how do you attract the customers and where are your investors coming from
1: yeah, so um so what's interesting is if you look at our model compared to You mentioned, say, Property Moose or a bunch of others. Um, We are actually an aggregator and a facilitator for very established property asset managers with strong track records. So in a way, we we can almost piggyback from a property asset management track record perspective. We're almost able to piggyback off other people. Um, So I think in a a good way, I think we're kind of ahead of the curve from that perspective. Whereas I think if we're all trying to do it in-house, it would be a lot harder as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so what, and your other question was to do with?
0: Uh, yeah, your credibility. How are you overcoming the credibility issue of being a brand new company in in a new space and, and where are your investors actually coming from? Where are you finding these investors?
1: Yeah, so yeah, the first question I think I've more or less answered which is in terms of credibility um, and trust, we're, we're almost trying to piggyback off our yeah. asset managers. Um, and then where are we finding them um, I mean so far we haven't done any on purpose. So we haven't done any PR at all um, we are I'm surprised by how many of our investors it's, I mean a lot of the investors if you I'm sure you know, but they're all, it's quite like them a lot of nearly all the platforms um, I'd say 65 to 70 percent of all the investors are men which is quite surprising But mm-hmm. if, of the p2p ones and the equity ones we found the same quite interesting um and again we've been surprised by um how many um uh some of them you just don't really know where they came from but a lot of them are, are come through referrals so again and we did studies and surveys on this as well that um people trust um and i know even the big platforms now that you know they say they grow on they call it word of mouth but actually it, be- it began through referral schemes and getting mm-hmm. your you know people to introduce people um and that's a, a proven way so so we we're really looking at what are growing in that kind of way because that also gets rid of the tr- it's, it's 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 firstly a good introduction from someone who's actually used the product and invested to someone else they trust it's kind of increasing that trust network so that's 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 the way we're going yeah
0: with regards to the amount percentage of men investors versus women were you surprised that it was that high or low were you surprised there was it that many women investors or not enough women investors
1: um well enough. because i've got um i know some other people who have uh on the lending side big some quite big uh lending platforms p2p platforms and they both said to me Different plat—they're two different separate platforms. That was what they were seeing, and they—they they said, um, you know, they said mainly men and 40 to 70-year-old men. Funny enough, mm-hmm. um, and um, so I was all—I wasn't surp- I was surprised when they told me that. So I was like, really? It seems kind of weird, but actually, yeah. so it our results correlated with what they said. So that wasn't surprising. But I was surprised that, that is the case. It seems it's—it's interesting. It's interesting in a way. It's just, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I think a a lot of retirees and people that are in their 50s getting towards retirement age are looking at peer-to-peer lending and crowdfunding like a fixed income product, more like a bond in some ways, which is the way I never really considered it because your capital, you hope, remains pretty level and even. Yeah. Maybe fluctuates a little bit, whereas if you buy a bond on the stock market, the chances are that the capital amount is fluctuating up and down. And so, I think the older people like the idea of remaining level with their capital amount. So, who knows? Though? We'll see what happens. Sure. I, I do find it really surprising too. I would have thought that it's technology, so it'd be a younger base of people, you know, in their twenties, twenty five, who are more risk, who are more willing to take on more risk. But just goes to show you can never ever tell.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's why actually when we before we launched our platform. We didn't want to use any um, people in terms of our marketing um, because obviously people relate to people. So if you get the wrong, if you're guessing who's going to naturally like your platform and your product, um, you get it wrong, then you're kind of going after the wrong types of people.
0: Give me a a brief synopsis, Fred, of where do you think the UK property market is going in the next 12 months? Do Do you see the Brexit? situation affecting the property market in general or for it just to remain as it is for now
1: Mm, i think you know it's interesting It's why we're doing our model rather than just doing residential or i think you know look talk about the property market it's you've got lots of different sectors and i'm assuming you're talking about residential um but i'd say in the residential i think in london is obviously completely different to any other city in the uk I think high-end London is ridiculous, and that is completely being driven by, by I guess the currency at the moment, um, and then it was um, a lot of um, uh, it's just foreign people kind of dumping, dumping money really, um, and I think that'll change. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if that takes a big very. I, I, you know, I've got friends in in the that business and some of them say it's already taken a 30 percent hit it's just there's not much liquidity in the market so you don't really see it um Mm -hmm. but i think that's you know completely overpriced i wouldn't be surprised if it comes off 30 35 40 percent even to be honest Mm -hmm. um you know if you look at housing and residential and everything um there is black and white a huge housing shortage in the uk like it doesn't matter what goes on globally that is you know still the case Um, And I think people also forget, when when we talk about the housing shortage in the UK, they forget it's not just linked to um, increasing population. It's also linked to, if you look at family, the family unit has changed in 30 years. So now many more people get divorced. Many more young people move out earlier, want to live alone. So actually, it's not just the numbers of people that is driving the housing demand. It's actually the a change in the kind of family unit mix if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so i think i think that's that's just there and there is a, a big a big demand and a need for housing um you know i think if you look at um other subsectors, i mean we all know some of them i would not personally invest in like high street retail if you go go look look around the uk at um uh you know like old market towns walk down the high streets i mean Half empty or full of charity shops, it's dead, yep. it's gone. Yep. Um, so I think it's all a bit different. Like every sector is a bit different and is reacting differently, and affects different things.
0: Yeah, I noticed that in my hometown of Pool. I oh, really, yeah. We have a high high street. Have you ever been to Pool before? I haven't right. actually, no. Okay, if you ever get a chance to go down there, but that, there's not actually much in the downtown cent you know, city centre of Pool, but there is a high street that the town was built around and my dad owned a piece of commercial property down there and i've noticed as the years have gone on how vacant the street has become everything you know retail wise is going to the internet nowadays and that's the future i think i agree i want you to put your unbiased hat on for me fred for a second and we're going to talk about risk the it's the biggest question that i get sent over on email from readers of the website especially ones who have not invested before. They want to know how risky is peer-to-peer lending. So if we look at the, the alternative finance sector as a whole and looking at brick owner, I want you to give me a number on the scale of one to 10. Where do you think, and, and one being the lowest, 10 being the highest risk, where do you think that brick owner falls on that scale within the peer-to-peer lending and crowdfunding business?
1: Um I would say three. Okay. I can justify it or explain it if you want.
0: Yeah, tell me why. Why three.
1: Um for, it's not gonna be one because we are a newer, you know, company. Um it is not I, I would put ourselves below a lot of our competitors who are much, much bigger because of our model of if you look at what can go wrong with investments it's either the, the managers or it's also the products. and again I would say as I said we work working and invest working with investing into assets managed by very established asset managers with a very strong track record it's not just relying on our own new teams to, to manage um, and we're not going for um, I'm not into like uh, highly leveraged assets. Um, and also, if you look at property in general, if we were only doing one asset class within property, I would say our risk would be higher um, than if we would had our present model of of being able to go into industrial or residential. Because or, again, going back to uh, the point we just mentioned of where do I see the market going in a good yeah. way, where we're able to adapt with the market, whereas okay. some, some models, obviously they
0: can't, they're only doing residential. So number three on the risk scale, Thank you for being honest and unbiased. There is always an element of risk and I think that gets lost when you're looking at crowdfunding and property investing because you think property is very safe. But what I want people listening to understand that there are inherent risks that come along with investing in property. Even if you're just buying your own properties, there is risk involved and with with, um, equity investing, there is risk too. I wanted just to go back to talking about brick owners profitability taking 24 months um, I noticed that on your website to you advertisers you have a cedars campaign going on right now to raise equity um, can you tell me a little bit about how you're funded to be able to you know get through the next 24 months without being profitable and where has your funding come from and what's going on with the cedars? is that your first cedars? no it's well, it's, our, it's it's our third actually oh um, your third okay yeah
1: and it's part of a, a a larger raise as well so what we found is um well i guess we are setting up a mass market business um so we like having and, and as many um, as many investors as possible who are part of brick owner shareholders and brick owner then also using i guess it's a whole kind of greater society um, mentality also then using the platform so that's where that mm-hmm. that's come from um, but yeah, so far we've been funding the business in the same way all startups fund the business, either with our own money or with investors' money, and that would we foresee that happening in parallel with kind of our early now revenues. And as that increases, kind of you know less less external, less external funding, like and being replaced with you know real revenues.
0: Right. And so you have enough funds to comfortably operate while you're not being profitable for the next 24 months.
1: Uh, not today for the next twenty-four months. No, because obviously, no. If, if we had it for t- not any company does. If we had it for twenty-four months today, we would probably have had to sell. As you know, with tech companies, your valuation changes. I mean, Uber raises money every three months, so your valuation shifts very rapidly. So yeah. it's not in our interest to be raising money for eighteen months' time
0: today. Okay, how how long? Do you tend to raise money for then? If you can give me an idea, as are you looking sort of a six months, 12, 12, twelve months? Yeah, twelve months. Okay, so every you know, if you need to raise extra money, you just do it after a twelve-month period. Well yeah. I guess you look at the bank account and go, ah, oh, maybe yeah, it's time. If, to yeah,
1: raise exactly. Money. And maybe you know, according to the business model, so maybe you want to um, increase uh, a marketing push for a bigger deal your funding, or you know, w- w- you know, if you're adding new features on, you need. You need a great, you want, you know, it's not necessary to the core business model, but maybe you want to, you think it'll add on, it'll benefit in 18 months' time, so that'll take more money. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and just for everybody listening out there, the reason why I ask these questions is because it's well known in startup business land that new companies do have a rather high failure rate, and uh, these are just questions that I think have to be asked so we know what the stability of the company is like. Um, obviously we hope that brick Owner does well, but these are the uncomfortable questions that have to be asked. And thank you for being honest about that, Fred. I appreciate your transparency. Uh, if you had an imaginary best friend, let's say his name was Stan, yeah. and Stan came to you and he said, Fred, I'm really interested in getting into equity, property investing, and, and peer-to-peer lending, but I really don't know how much of my liquid net worth is a comfortable amount for me to put in. Just I I know that this varies from person to person depending on their situation, but let's take the average person. What would you tell Stan? Would be a comfortable level for him to put into alternative finance.
1: Um, I guess I mean if he was spreading it between um a, a number of different platforms,
0: twenty five percent,
1: thirty percent.
0: Do you think 25 to 30 is a reasonable amount? Yeah. Cause I've had, um, I've had readers have, have sent me emails saying, they've got 50, 60, 70% of their liquid net worth into peer to peer lending. And, uh, I I, 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 was a person that went through the 2008, 2009 property crash, had a lot of uh, cash of my own put in. Uh, once you've been through an experience like that and, uh, taken a hit, everything becomes a lot more real. Yeah. And, um, You know, I I always urge people to really consider the possibility of what could happen if things do go wrong, having that much liquid net worth, and especially if they're older and they don't have enough time to recover from the hit. It's okay for a 20 year old, 25 year old, they have plenty of time to recover, but older people don't. So I like your answer 20 to 25%. I think, you know, personally, I'm at about 15 that's my comfortable level but everybody is different you know so yeah. and i think as time goes on and the sector becomes more established um that number could increase but uh i think that's a good number yeah okay so wrapping up fred sell me on brick owner there's a lot of alternatives out there you've mentioned your business comes from a different perspective is using asset managers piggybacking off their experience and being able to get into bigger deals, maybe that some of the other property companies cannot get into, so there's that. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about maybe future plans, innovations, or products that investors might like to know about?
1: Um, yeah, so firstly, we're gonna open um, a secondary markets um, as well, So uh, which will give us the ability to do deals which might have longer term lock-ins, um so um we're, we're gonna uh, like launch that but probably later later this year um and then we yeah we're just, we're just we're we've been doing a lot of um uh kind of listening to our users really and we're kind of upgrading the platform because i said we launched obviously at the beginning of the year so since then we've been listening to our users and we'll be we'll be making quite a number of changes to the visual side of the platform as well as the kind of the back end as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think um, in my view, I view a platform really as kind of, um, I don't know, like it's like a living thing. You know, it's never, never really complete. You're always adding features, making changes. Um, and I think that'll always happen really, especially as I think over time, your user base might, you know, it'll become more mainstream. People will demand more features or, you um, new things we haven't even thought of will probably kind of be, be required or be needed
0: is there anything else that you would like to discuss or um i don't covered everything?
1: I, I don't think so really no thank, thanks a lot for making the time to speak
0: yeah absolutely so thank you fred for coming and spending your time on the podcast today for everybody listening go take a look at brick owner I will put the link down in the description, see if that's something you think you might want to invest in. And uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on the company and watch it grow and hopefully succeed and become a place where you can go and get all your property investing needs met. So thanks again, Fred, and good luck to you. Thanks Scott Lawrence. Thanks. Sounds good. Brilliant. Thanks. You've been listening to the Financial Thing Peer to Peer Lending Essentials Podcast. Don't forget to visit financialthing.com for all the latest peer to peer lending reviews and DIY investing articles.